Welcome to the Orton Gillingham Podcast, a Brainspring production. Today, we'll hear from special guest Marilyn Zecker, a certified academic language therapist and dyslexia specialist, and the creator of two graduate-level methods courses in multisensory mathematics. Keep listening. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. How's it been going? Long time no see. I know. Although I did That's see you, I did see you yesterday. But I see you every day. <laughs> it's the highlight of my day, though, Aww. so it's good. Yeah, I know. I'm feeling friendly today. Oh, um, nice. so today yes. we're going to continue our series, Voices from the IDA. Mm-hmm. So, just as a reminder to our listeners that uh, before we attended the IDA conference back in October, um, and we had a great opportunity to sit down with. Many interesting people, mm-hmm. um, and each of them is dedicated to improving literacy. And each episode of the series, we're going to highlight one of those individuals and feature a portion of our conversation with him or her. So mm-hmm. today, we're going to do just that. Yes. Yeah. So uh, who's on the dock for today? So I interviewed Marilyn Zecker, and um, she was very inspirational. And she's had such an interesting um, take on literacy because, you know, she, although she does, she does work with kids in reading, she also is very involved with mathematics. And Ooh, so, so what's her yes. background? What does she do? So she um, speaks at conferences and she has um, a really cool uh, multisensory mathematic course that, um, that she offers multisensory mathematics and um, she's just created all kinds of, um, of products and, and, and um, courses for people um, to help them apply multisensory strategies to various subjects, not just math, but everything. But math was, is her, math, her primary. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be her primary, um, her primary focus these days. So actually, when I saw you coming out of that interview, mm-hmm. uh, you were so excited to talk about mm-hmm. About her and about yeah. what she's doing. Yeah. And I'm really interested to hear this because I know there were some things that she was talking about with how the brain works. Yes. And yeah. And so I actually... And I haven't been able to listen to it yet. Right. So Katie hasn't heard this yet. And so um, we'll, we'll go ahead and play the interview with Marilyn. But um, yeah, she... I actually learned some things from, from talking to her that, you know, I had never even thought of before. Um, we tend to think of literacy as just a, a, a just a, a reading thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it isn't, you know, it's a brain thing. So um, I actually learned some interesting um, takeaways from just our short conversation with her. So um, so I'm excited for you to listen to it. And so every once in a while, I'll have you just pay real close attention and might have you listen and comment on. Um, Are you saying I have a hard time focusing? Yeah, I'm going to have to refocus you. <laughs> That's all right. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and play this and then um, talk as we go. Okay. So welcome, Marilyn. Can you please introduce yourself to the audience? Oh, hello. My name is Marilyn Zecker, and uh, I'm one of those people who's been working with dyslexic students for, you know, back before the dinosaurs. All right. Uh, I date back to the my first IDA conference was 1976. <gasps> That's awesome. And I am an Orton Oak, though I have not always been in the position I am in now. Okay. I almost exclusively now 
work with teachers, tutors, and parents mm -hmm. on mathematics and the impact of language and language disabilities on mathematics. All right. So you are unique here mm -hmm. at this conference. Um, so the theme of this conference, of course, is until everyone can read. Yes. And so and how do you fit into well, this? Reading is not the only part of literacy. When we look at the numbers of people who are incarcerated, for example, mm -hmm. and they are functional, many are functionally illiterate. Mm -hmm. They can't be solid, productive citizens because they can't read, but also they can't do math. They mm -hmm. can't calculate. Mm -hmm. And we have to see where our individuals are falling out of the woodwork, so to speak. Where, when can we catch them and provide intervention early mm -hmm. to prevent this academic slide. Mm -hmm. And math is simply, is simply part of literacy, mm -hmm. and we have to remember that. Mm -hmm. but the way I fit into it is that I am an academic language therapist, mm -hmm. and I taught reading and structured literacy for years. Okay. And when I began to work in the math field, I realized that we could use everything that we use to teach reading to teach math. All right. Some of the same strategies. Mm -hmm. And if you know one, you can easily slide into the other and change lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can we stop there for a second, Mike? So I think that was very important. Um, first off, she said that math is part of literacy, which we I know, talked you, about earlier. You, and you don't often hear that. Right. Even though it's, I mean, it is true. Right. But I, I'm curious how she makes that connection. Yeah. Too. But, but then she just said we can use everything we do to teach reading that we do to teach math. Right. And so, you know, we, we tend to just segment them, you know, a separate, in our brains, yeah. you know, this is math and that's reading. And, um, and I, you know, I, I always just kind of assumed that it was different parts of the brain. Yeah, I did too. You know, that you're using when, you, when you're thinking about reading and math, but it's all part of literacy. So, which is interesting. Yeah. So, um, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I, when she said that, I did a little bit of research um, because I wanted to um, kind of think about that, you know, about mm -hmm. is there a connection between reading and math? And um, research is really showing that reading and writing and arithmetic, over, arithmetic overlap in ways that we never really knew before in mm -hmm. the brain. And so there was this... Um, um, Professor Christopher McNorgan from University of Buffalo studied dyslexia and functional connectivity in the brain, and he discovered that the brain rewires itself according to the task. And this is what Marilyn is is going to be talking about. Oh, is um, it like the kind of like in the brain research for literacy, the multisensory piece mm -hmm. is actually what's you know, making those neural pathways stronger or creating new neural pathways. So it's actually is it the task or is multisensory the task? Well, it, it, I think what he was talking about is that so when uh, we, we are always multitasking, right? Mm -hmm. We're always, you know, thinking about doing two things at once. And when, when we're focusing on one task, maybe we're balancing our checkbook or whatever we do, if, if anybody still does that anymore. I, don't, I do. You do? Oh I don't gosh, do that I'm anymore. I'm so old school. <laughs> but if you're doing that, you're balancing your checkbook, and then all of a sudden um, Jackson comes in with a note from the teacher mm -hmm. and says, Mommy, you know, I need you to sign this. It's a permission slip. And I for say, get out of here immediately. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You, your I brain, love my children. <laughs> your brain automatically can shift from doing that very specific mathematical kind of thing with your checkbook 
to something completely different. And so our brain, um, we have, that's what he's talking about, this functional connectivity in the mm, brain. It's all so, connected. Yeah. Um, and he's just, he just said, he just, I mean, he discovered that the brain's wiring for reading was also present for math. And so um, the way our brain is wired for reading is actually influencing how the brain functions for math as that's well. So interesting. Yeah. And so Marilyn, will will talk about that a little bit. Um, but basically, um, also, he was just saying that the reading skill is going to affect how you tackle problems in other domains. Mm. So if you struggle with reading, um, your the reading skill, it's going to affect how um, you function in other areas, right? And it's reading not, it's, is core. Right. right? And, and we also, like, I guess we often think of that when we say, well, they can't do a a math test or a math assignment if they can't read the directions. True. But mm-hmm. this is that's like it's way very, deeper than that. Yeah, it's yeah, way deeper yeah. than that. Um, so you know, it it helps better understand children with learning difficulties in both reading and math. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, so we can go ahead and play this, and this is kind of Marilyn will will kind of touch on this a little bit, and so and go ahead and stop whenever anything sounds interesting to you as well. Okay, go ahead, Mike. Math's a language too, isn't it? In a way, yes. Yeah. But it, it's it, it is it, language is the same in some ways, but it's very different in mm-hmm. some ways, and that's the neuroscience. Mm-hmm. So, part of my approach to math mm-hmm. is that I'm looking at evidence-based strategies. Mm-hmm. I get many of them from the What Works Clearinghouse practice guides and the research on math, mm-hmm. but also the neuroscience. Mm-hmm. When I learned. For example, that math begins in the brain before language. Mm. It begins in the high chair before mm. a child knows what a number is, before they can count. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at quantities and they can differentiate between small quantities. Mm-hmm. And they start to layer the language on with that. I mm. want more or he has more or fewer. Mm-hmm. All those pieces of preschool math are language-based. Mm-hmm. So language has an enormous impact mm. on mathematics. I've never thought of it that way. I, I never thought of that. Isn't you it? know, really, yeah. that does make sense. Totally. Because they're not saying, I want five more. Or, uh, you know, they're not, they're just saying, I want more, which, which is, is a math an concept. Under, is a math concept. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's language-based. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. That was an aha moment for me, too. Right now, if I say the number three, mm-hmm. you can picture that quantity. Mm-hmm. If I say four, you mm-hmm. can picture that quantity. Mm-hmm. That is a term we use, subitizing, mm. automatic recognition of quantity, and it happens before language. Wow. That is yeah. orthographic mapping. Uh, yes. That is uh, sight word recognition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. Right. So when we talk about literacy and we talk about stringing those sounds together to mm-hmm. orthographically map them mm-hmm. in our brain, mm-hmm. when, like now, we'll see the word cat, mm-hmm. and it's automatic. We don't have to think about we it. We don't have to think about right. it. Uh, so that's right. it's the same process. Right, right. So she mentioned subitizing, which was a, a term that we don't always hear, we don't hear very often, but... Subitizing is when you have rapid, accurate, and confident judgment of numbers. Um, and, and so let's say I have a, um, I'm rolling some dice and I throw out the dice. Mm-hmm. If a four comes up, you don't, you know, you don't even have to, you think, don't about have to it. think about it. It's a four because it's, it's automatic. It's automatic. So yes. the math yes. term for it is subitizing. Subitizing. Whereas 
it's really permanent word storage and literacy. Yes. Right? So if I had three blocks and I threw them out on the table, you would instantly know that there's three of them. Yeah. Just because it's and a it's rapid... not visual. Like for reading, I should yeah, say. Yeah, Like we yes. don't look at the word cat and then we look at the word cat and then we see it in our brain. We can see it. Yes. But unless it's been orthographically mapped, we right. can't do that automatically. Right. Same right. thing for math. I guess I'm making that connection. It's automaticity. Yeah. Basically. So subitizing is automaticity with number concepts yeah. or numbers, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was, a, that was a term she used that I had not thought of before. I've never even heard of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean- Nope, nope, haven't. <laughs> I thought about it for a second. And I thought, maybe. No, 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 it's gone. I didn't. And in addition to that, we know that from Stanislas Dehaan's work, mm -hmm. that we look at the neuroscience, and he talks about this number module in the non-language hemisphere of the brain mm -hmm. where we really begin processing math. Mm. But one of the things that's coming out of the research now that I think is important for clinicians to know and people who are working with people with learning challenges is that when we begin learning multiplication facts, the activity in the brain shifts to using more of the language hemisphere. Mm. And it means that a lot of our students who can't learn their times tables, so to speak, mm -hmm. are impacted by language retrieval deficits mm -hmm. because it's language dependent. Mm. That's the same, you know, people are often like, oh, one of the screeners for dyslexia mm -hmm. is object naming and mm -hmm. object recognition mm -hmm. and that's the starting point and you don't mm -hmm. associate that right with reading same same thing for this though yeah that's the okay and she specifically mentioned mathematics and that's when I was doing that research that there's something about math the, the um, I mean I mean multiplication I shouldn't say mathematics she specifically mentioned mentioned um, multiplication facts and that was something that came up in the research I was reading as well so yeah really interesting so it's incumbent upon us to learn different ways to teach the skills which are language-based. Yes. That's how I fit in to this conference. So I want you to show me or tell us an example of a multi-sensory way that you could teach, um, you know, addition or subtraction or any kind of, you know, what, what kinds of things do you do in your program? Are they manipulatives? Um, is it, is it more explaining things in a different, uh, so that we can see it in a different light? Um, how do you, how do well, you... Think about what we just said, though. Math begins in the visual... Right. ...non-language hemisphere. Right. So everything we teach, we have to do some hands-on work yes. and provide tactile kinesthetic foundations. Yes. And then in the, the instructional sequence we used, mm -hmm. which is evidence-based. It's mm -hmm. called Concrete Representational Abstract, mm -hmm. or CRA. So wait, I was just thinking about, sorry, because she said it, so I want to correct myself before because I, I might have confused things when I said something, because that is the difference. It is started in your visual part yes. of your brain, yes. which is different. With, I want to clarify that we know that, that, yes. that I, I might have confused. Yeah, that's yeah. Confusing. Because we, we know we store we store Words. sounds by sound. Auditorily. Auditorily, it, yes. It all starts in the sound, but yes. this one is visual. So I just want to clarify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I might have said that backwards Yes. Before. She's talking about CRA, Concrete Representational Abstract, and then she calls it CPA, which is... Um, concrete pictorial abstract, and that's just basically using physical and visual, visual aids to build an understanding of something. So it's just multi, talking about multisensory objects, 
um, to help um, build understanding of abstract topics. And so that's what she's talking about. So here. CRA, concrete represent, no, what is it? Yep, concrete representational abstract. I'm really glad that you could read that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then concrete pictorial app. Yeah, and uh, apparently those are interchangeable terms. So, okay. yeah. Okay. So you might hear it CPA or CRA. Okay. And this is what she's going to be talking about now. It's mm-hmm. called Concrete Representational Abstract, mm-hmm. or CRA. Okay. Some teachers will learn it as CPA, the pictorial, or the semi-concrete. Mm-hmm. The student builds something with their hands, mm-hmm. and then that creates that mental picture and the imagery. Mm-hmm. But if they're talking about it and describing it as they are building it... Mm. Simultaneously. Oh, we have simultaneous processing. Yes, yes. So we want to use something that's very simple and bundleable mm-hmm. for place value. Mm-hmm. I'm also bringing in some of Deschler's work on graphic organizers. And when oh, we yeah. use a place value mat, that's showing a student how our number system is organized. Mm-hmm. So we might begin with something as simple as a place value mat that says ones and tens. Mm-hmm. And we, I build it with craft sticks. Mm-hmm. And we always use a pattern because mm-hmm. of subitizing. So mm-hmm. if we think ground level up yes. all the way to algebra, yes, that's what we're doing. Yeah. We're building, constructing, creating visual and tactile memories, mm-hmm. memories in different parts of the brain. Mm-hmm. And so as we're building that, we're saying it and talking Verbalizing it. it. Verbalizing yes. it. How did you get that answer? Well, mm-hmm. and so I, we... Use that place value map. We put mm-hmm. down a set of tallies, four with one across. We know five. Mm-hmm. We make two fives. It's time to bundle mm. because we have ten fingers. Right. We have right. a base ten system. That yeah. There are only two societies in the history of man that have anything other than base ten. They were base 20, and I'm guessing they used their toes. Mm. But yeah. we're base 10. Right. So making those two fives. Yeah. Put them together, it's 10. Makes sense. And then looking at the language impact. Mm -hmm. So imagine we decode large numbers by saying the hundreds, Mm -hmm. and then we say the tens and ones together because Mm -hmm. the tens have unique names, Mm -hmm. 23, Mm -hmm. 45, Mm -hmm. 17. Mm -hmm. So we would say the 100, 23. But let's build on that. Right. So I have 123 billion, 123 Mm -hmm. million. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 123,000, mm-hmm. 123, and, e- and tells me a fraction's coming up. Okay. See, and, and, when, and you couldn't all see this, but what Marilyn did when she said and was she used a gesture oh, with her yeah. hand. She it's punched like it out. Karate yeah. karate punch. A karate punch. And so we do yeah. the commas in the air with our hands. Yeah, yeah. And we name them. Uh-huh. And then we punch that decimal yeah. point to say yeah. a fraction is coming. So that's all that multisensory coming mm. in. And, and, and it's the same concept with reading, right? We exactly. verbalize everything as we go through. We use gestures and, and finger tapping and all kinds of good stuff, you know. One of so, my blog posts is entitled Math Made Real When They Hold It in Their Hands. Yeah, I love it. That's great. That's amazing. So that, that touching and that simultaneous processing and describing is critical. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So I'm going to ask you, how do you think that you got to where you are now? I mean, was there something um, when you when you graduated from college or or even when you entered college? Did you did you always want to be a teacher or um, how did you get to where you are now? Long story short, um, my father and mother both lost their fathers during the Depression. They were children. Mm. And they were determined that I would be able to have a career where I could make a living, Mm. with or without a spouse. Mm -hmm. And so 
I had wanted to go to college. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do theater. And oh. my parents could not afford to send me to the school I wanted to go to. So I went to a university, and I, I liked teaching. It would be okay. Mm-hmm. And I got a partial scholarship if I agreed to teach within the state for a certain number of years, mm-hmm. which I did. And I started as a math te- a music teacher. Okay. And then when they started firing music teachers, I was working fortuitously in a school that had a very rare thing. I was in a school that had one of the first dyslexia programs for reading mm. in the entire United States wow. in the public schools. What was the name of that school? Um, well, it was the, the Prince George's County School District, a public school district in Maryland. Okay. The superintendent had four dyslexic children, and one of the reading teachers was an Orton person. Wow. And she taught them to read, and he said, all children need this. Ah. And so we started a program where we were not allowed to say the word dyslexia, Mm-hmm. But it was for every child reading one or more years below grade level. Mm-hmm. And I was trained by an Orton person mm-hmm. way back before the dinosaurs. Right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I began teaching both reading and English at the middle school level. Okay. And uh, went on to do that for a number of years and at the high school level. Wow. But uh, at one point when I married, my husband was retiring and we were going to travel. So I took my Orton training. Mm -hmm. And when we came back after two and a half years, I started doing some academic support. Okay. And that's what led me to math. So isn't that interesting? So if you hadn't been in that school. And I had not been picked up on a basketball court. Yeah. (laughs) Because I, no matter what the coach said, the way he told me to do it, I couldn't hit the basket. I was playing in the student faculty game. Oh, okay. When I used the wrong foot with the wrong side of the body, I hit the backboard every time. And the teachers in the dyslexia program came to me and said, how's your spelling? (gasps) Do you like to read? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, no. My first degree, I graduated with a pretty high GPA, and I never read a book. Just from... Yes. Shooting a basket? They could tell. Isn't that crazy? Is that? I don't know. Is that a thing? It must be a thing. Because <laughs> so, I've never heard of that. So apparently the way she was the way she was doing it, they could tell she was using the wrong she was she was processing how to do this in a different way. I don't really like know. Physically she was Physi- doing yeah. something with her body, like stepping forward with like her non dominant side or something. Something, yeah. Isn't that interesting? I gotta look into that. I know. Maybe that's why I didn't make All American. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I was terrible at basketball. But you're good at everything else, so that's. Oh. <laughs> that was like the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> you're so you're so not true, but it's so sweet. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that isn't that interesting that that she was identified. Yeah, they I don't... immediately made the connection between. What she was physically doing with the basketball? Yeah, I want to look reading. into that more now. I know. I mean, we can't talk about it because I have no clue yeah. about any of it. But now I really want to look it's, into it. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. We kind of intended to have, um, hoping to have Marilyn come back and talk more, and this might be a nice thing for her to expand on. Yeah. Too. So, anyway, and when I went back for my graduate work in English, it was a book a week, and I was reading eleven hours a day to get through mm. it. Mm-hmm. And my spelling was never great. It wasn't as bad as many of mm-hmm. our typical dyslexic students, but 
You were just in the right place at the I was right in time. The right place at the all right the time. time. And then that's amazing. The academic support. My students began to tell me what their needs were, mm. and I went to Dr. Joyce Steves, who was teaching a course in mm-hmm. multisensory math in Aztec in Rockville, Maryland. She was one of the, if not the, first Orton Fellow who really took an interest in math. Mm. That's and amazing. I said you got to take it to algebra because my students are failing algebra. Yeah. She was retiring. She didn't, so I did. All right. You go, girl. <laughs> um, so, so what, I mean, I, I, I'm, you've answered this question, but I want you to, 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 to really just say it. What fuels your fire? Seeing students succeed when they thought they never would. Mm. It's, and the, the people who come up to me, a lady on the escalator yesterday, and she said, oh, you're Marilyn Secker. You trained my, my child's tutor. Wow. And you've saved her life. Oh, my gosh. What a thing to say. I mean, what, I, that's I, amazing. I get that. I got that at the OG conference last year. One of these parents from Canada came up and said, the school where my child goes, mm-hmm. her tutor is has been training with you, and it's mm-hmm. saved her life. Ugh. And uh, adult Former students of mine come back, and they will say, you know, this is what turned the tide. This is mm. what made me believe in myself. Isn't that amazing? Be able to go on. Yeah. You go to weddings. I mean, they become family. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, what a legacy. I mean, that's... It's gratifying. It's very... That's exactly. But most of it is also on them because they put in the work. Right. They choose to try. Well, you turned something on yeah, in their brain, it. and then they took the rest. They took it you know, from there. I had three so. adult students who spoke to my practicum group recently, and every single one of them essentially gave the same message. Tenacity, mm-hmm. self-advocacy, mm-hmm. believing in yourself, even when you're struggling, mm-hmm. and finding ways to succeed, mm-hmm. and having one or two people, special people in your corner yes. who always believe in you. And to look for the things that, are, that you're good at, mm-hmm. and not Find the your things gift. that you're bad at. Right. Can we stop for a second? We, we kind of, the last few episodes we've done, we, this word advocacy keeps coming up, mm-hmm. and she just said it again, you know, um, self-advocacy and also finding somebody that's in your corner. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and that's a, there's a common theme mm-hmm. um, when we talk about kids with um, learning differences. Um, it's, and it's hard to be a self-advocate. Yes. It doesn't, most people don't start out that way. Yes. They, you know, they live through examples mm-hmm. that they've mm-hmm. experienced, somebody supporting them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so th- I thought that was another, here we go again, talking about advocacy. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I heard this morning, uh, Dr. Nancy Mather is just wonderful, and she said, we have to, to tell our students the truth. Mm-hmm. We have to tell mm-hmm. them, we have to say the word dyslexia. Mm-hmm. We have to define it. We have to say, yes, it's true. Some things are going to be a little harder for you, but sometimes they're also there are gifts. But mm-hmm. we've always said, you have to give the student definition. Mm-hmm. They have to know who they are. Mm-hmm. They have to know what their unique gifts are. Mm-hmm. And they have to pursue what they love. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes it takes them down a path that's difficult. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That, those are great words. I'm going to ask you to, to leave us with some words of wisdom, which you just did. And you've been doing it all the whole time. But do you have any specific words of wisdom with all your experience that you can share with maybe a new teacher or? Well, 
or right anything. now, especially in math, mm-hmm. there's something that's coming up in a lot of curricula because we have such wretched math scores. Mm. And curricula are coming out that are highly scripted, and they say you must teach, you must teach this lesson as scripted or as mm. written. You have to, or you're not being. There's no fidelity. Mm. And of course, in our field, we say we need fidelity. Mm-hmm. But one thing in mathematics, I would say, is that if you can't deviate, you can't differentiate. Mm. That's a great, that's great. <laughs> so, you know, the, the teacher has to be well-trained. Yes. They have yes. to know the math. Yes. But you have to be able to provide diagnostic prescriptive teaching for that child or that inclusion class mm-hmm. or that English language learner. Mm-hmm. This approach that I've been working on is now being used to teach children who have hearing impairments. Mm. It's being used to teach students with autism spectrum disorder. Mm. with students with exceptionally low cognitive abilities. Mm -hmm. And when you do good teaching and it's multisensory and you're teaching to the whole brain, Mm -hmm. you can make amazing things happen. But you have to be able to deviate to Mm -hmm. differentiate. Beautiful. Thank you so much for coming to talk. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was a pleasure to to meet you and to talk with you. And keep up the good work. Keep trying. Keep, Keep trying. on keeping on. Keep going. All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. Isn't she cool? Yeah. She's very, very. Mm-hmm. And I really like how she ended it, like mm-hmm. wrapped it all up. I really like that quote. Mm-hmm. If you can't deviate, then you can't differentiate. I think we need to to put that in our materials and credit Marilyn for that. Yeah. It's that's, good. It's, it's very good true. Yeah. You, so. you did a nice job. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I, she was easy to talk to. Yeah, all of them were. I know. So yeah, so such good speakers, <laughs> and yes. you know, so easy to interview. And yes, yes, um, she was great. So yeah, I hope I'm hoping that in the future we can get Marilyn back uh, yeah, to talk with us. Yeah, she would be interesting um, about some some things that are much more specific. You know, are you listening, Marilyn? Yeah, come hopefully. on back. Yeah, yeah, we'll be calling you. Mm. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. And until next time, because we will um, have more interesting conversations. Yep, another interview. The IDA conference and our series of Voices from the IDA. Yes. Have a good day. You too. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Orton Gillingham podcast, a Brainspring production. For additional content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media or visit our website at brainspring.com. To submit questions or comments, please email us at podcast at brainspring.com. Your feedback is always welcome.